Hello, and welcome to Overburden, the podcast for postal workers. I'm Brandy Hughes. And I'm Kevin Hitchings. And today we're going to talk about the grievance procedure. Yeah, not so much what's in the collective agreement, the stuff that most people are familiar with, but really what goes on uh, behind the scenes and that type of grievances that, uh, you know, how, how a grievance is really handled through the process and why it takes so long sometimes. Okay, so to start out, a grievance is a, a written complaint by the union given to the corporation, and it's important when you do those to clearly define why it's a grievance, why it breaches our collective agreement. So there's, there's different types of grievances. The one we're most familiar with, of course, is the individual grievance where right. someone's bypassed for a shift or something like that, or there's just one person has a complaint against the corporation. That's the defining thing is that it's only one employee has been wronged here. Right. And then a group grievance is pretty self-explanatory. That would be when it's a whole depot or a whole floor or even a, a group of people on the floor. It could only be a few of you. But when there's more than one person involved. Right. They're handled basically the same. The only thing that changes is the timeline's a little bit. You have a little bit longer to, to file a group grievance than you do an individual grievance. Yeah, it's dependent on when the, um, well, when the first person finds out there's a grievance and also when the last person finds out there's a grievance. There are deadlines to meet. And... It does say from when you became aware of the issue on the form. You have to be a little careful with that because it's not when you were aware, it's when you reasonably should have been aware of things. So, you know, just because you didn't realize those grievance for five years, I mean, you can file five years later, but there's a little bit of gray area in You'd there. You'd be in a whole new contract by then. <laughs> well, depends how long the corporation can stall creating a new contract. But. Um, and those group grievances can, can also ha- cover larger groups, like if they cover all members in the union or more than one group or um, people in 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 uh, spread out areas rather than just in one local. And then there's policy grievances. These are grievances where uh, there's not necessarily a violation of a collective agreement, but there's a difference in interpretation of the collective agreement. So the corporation believes that they can do one thing or says one thing and we believe it says another thing and that's a policy grievance. And then there's a national policy grievance which is essentially the same thing except it's something that's uh, that's pretty broad and could apply to the whole country or the whole area, the whole union, whole bargaining unit. Um, so obviously those were handled uh, nationally and not locally. Um, there's also a cease and desist, so that's if we're asking for the arbitrator to give us an injunction to stop a certain uh, behavior or decision that the corporation has made, and uh, those can be temporary or provisional, and it's, it's basically just saying, like, stop doing this thing. Like, a few years ago, we had a um, no more forced overtime. It started in peak period because they were forcing, they were, they were basically in our local, they were looping the overtime list every day and then forcing you to do overtime multiple times a week because they would run through the entire list. And a number of people went out and got, went to their doctor and said, I can't do overtime or I can't do this much overtime. And that shortened the list even more and it became even more of a problem. And actually under the arbitration that was handed down in June, uh, they're still not allowed to force us to do overtime right now, are they? Uh, and then there's a priority grievance. These are things related to restructuring of, of a route or assignment. I've heard that also called a fast track grievance as well. So yeah, most of them are handled in pretty much the same way. The time limits change and whatnot. Um, so usually when you first uh, think that something has, that you've been wronged in some way, you would you would contact your, your shop steward and let them know that you think you have a grievance. 
And uh, if it's urgent, uh, the shop steward is supposed to get time away from their uh, job to... Even if it's not urgent, you can take time off for any grievance you have to investigate. You do, but it's supposed to be within half an hour if if the shop steward deems that it's urgent. And it's supposed to be before the start of the the steward's next shift if it's not so urgent. Yeah, urgent grievances are immediate, but otherwise, yeah, it's right now or it's the beginning of your next shift. Yeah. That's the common part that people see on the floor all the time. You have a complaint, you go to the shop steward, and you leave it. Shop steward, like we said, will get time from the supervisor to investigate this grievance. They, uh, they might need you there for the investigation, though. They might need to talk to you. or Yeah, and if you're required to be off the floor, if it's, you know, they can book you off the floor for that as well, too. And, okay. you know, something that's in a group grievance, they may have to book off, you know, the entire floor at one point or another just to get statements. That would be interesting. Yeah, it can be done. And we're not. there's no limits to this time either. Um, the management in Saskatoon at least likes to say you get 15 minutes for a grievance. Usually that's enough. We grab a quick, quick statement, we write up the form, and we're done. But if for some reason it's a bigger, more complex issue if you have to get statements from everybody and it's a four-hour grievance, you can take four hours to file your grievance. Right. The collective agreement says that you should let your supervisor know when you've completed your investigation and that you're going back to your to your work. I took four point. hours off the floor a couple of weeks ago, but that was for, I think, 14 grievances I filed altogether. But oh, wow. If it would have just been one, I could have done it for just one as well. Yeah. But, well, and and you don't necessarily have to file a grievance. That's another good point to make. Um, if you're, If the steward does the investigation and finds out that there isn't actually a grievance there, that we can file, then they can, they still get that time off to do the investigation, but they don't necessarily have to file. Right. And if I would have found the evidence that I was suspecting I might have, I would have had another 50 grievances to file and taken another couple of days to do it. But we're going to kind of off topic. That's not... <laughs> so uh, your steward uh, should investigate all complaints in a fair and non-discriminatory manner. Um, they, they have the right to investigate the complaint with the member that's complaining and also to discuss uh, or, or question the supervisor about it, and that doesn't negate their ability to file a grievance right. on it. Um, it's important to note that uh, our collective agreement also says that the complainer and the shop steward should not be hindered, threatened, intimidated, uh, constrained, or prevented in any way from filing the grievance. So this is something that is there for a reason because sometimes management gets a little bit upset that you're filing agreements against them and they might, you know, either threaten or um, kind of imply that something bad might happen to you if you continue with this, but it is your right to file the grievance. Yeah. I've never seen here anyway a supervisor get mad at an employee and I take great pains to make sure that that all the um, anger a supervisor might feel is directed against me. I will I don't tell them I'm the one filing those grievance. I made them file right. those grievance. Well, I was just going to say that I, I can think of one particular supervisor who in the last two months has was angry with you for filing agreements against them. But, but they were well-deserved grievances. They were well-deserved grievances. And, you know, I liked your response at the time that was, well, if you follow the collective agreement, I don't have to file grievances against yeah, you. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the supervisor. So. I have a problem with all <laughs> Yeah, if, if you, if you behave doing. yourself, then I don't have a complaint. I think most supervisors understand that, too. There's some things... The shop steward or the employee has no choice but to file a grievance on me. You're doing something really outside the collective agreement or dangerous or stupid or whatever. This is this is kind of something that frustrates me as a shop steward in that sometimes people say, well, I've never filed agreements or I don't know if it's worth filing 
or you know like it's not that big a deal I'll just let it go this time and it's like well that's fine for this time but if you don't want this to happen over and over again if you don't want to continuously be treated this way and have your rights stomped on by management then you you need to file the grievance to show them that they've done wrong and make them essentially pay for doing wrong yeah and they cannot it's not that they should not or they cannot discriminate you in any way for filing agreements they can't right anytime that someone's been nervous about filing agreements i make it very clear that if there's any blowback at all well but there shouldn't be any for you any. either no but i will and if there it. is that's another grievance if it comes to me i know how to handle it <laughs> and if it comes to them at all they like i will file agreements and i will go to that supervisor and i'll say look if you got a problem you come to me not to the member right you know and we'll deal with it at that point the only time where this is most used about the the hindering thing is when they refuse to give a documentation right um there's some stuff i asked for in a uh one of those frequently injured what do they call it now at, at risk, risk employee. employees there's some documents i requested uh at the last one i did of those that they still haven't provided and i will be filing agreements on that uh you know, so that's when it's most often used is just them not providing the evidence that they're required to provide you. So the specifics of agreements, like I say, there's a lot of stuff in the collective agreement we could go into, but we're going to, I think, focus more on, on the life cycle of agreements. And the most common question I get on agreements is, where is it? Why haven't I heard from this? And, you know, it's been two mm. years. Why haven't I been paid for this one yet? Especially in the clear-cut ones, they don't understand why. Uh it's a very involved process. It can be. Yeah. And the you'll see here, we'll talk about in a minute, the corporation kind of intentionally misleads people as to where their agreements are. Mm. So it's by far the most common issue I hear about. And it's not uh, unreasonable that people don't know because the corporation puts it on us. So yeah, the grievance starts with uh, the member, of course, going to the shop store, like I already said, who should get some grievance time for it. And they'll go back and talk to some witnesses and then file the grievance. So once the shopster has done all the investigations and they filled out the uh, the grievance form, and it's worth noting that the member has to sign that grievance form. Uh, so you can't just say, fill it out for me. You have to put in some information of your own <laughs> and sign it. Uh, we cannot sign it for you. So your shop steward would take it to the local executive. Uh, you might have a, a dedicated grievance officer in your local, or you might have your president or some other member of the executive committee doing grievances for you. And they basically would fill out the um, the face of the grievance so that the initial form you filled out never goes to management. It's just an internal document for the union. And then they send that up to the regional. Right. That form is basically saying what parts of the collective office. agreement were, were uh, grieving. And right. I think I should probably point out at this point, it's not always the collective agreement. We can grieve labor law. We can grieve uh, human rights, Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms. We can also grieve documents referred to in the collective agreement. Like, uh, for example, the local joint health and safety committee is governed by a document called the Terms of Reference, which right. is referred to in the collective agreement. So the Terms of Reference are effectively part of the collective agreement, so we can grieve under that sort of thing as well. Okay, so once it gets to regional, they're going to make sure that it really is a grievance. They're going to read through it, make sure that it all makes sense. Yeah, before they even see it, there's a, a, a third party... In our union, it's someone from the COPE uh, Canadian Office and Professional Employees Union, I believe it stands for. And they're kind of a third party just to verify that things were received. Uh, and I believe that's where the timeline starts. We have timelines in our collective agreement that say a grievance has to be filed in so many days. I think this is where it is, that timeline. The 25 off. days? Yeah. yeah. So I think we've gone a few steps here. I'm just going to pause for a moment. Uh, we've gone from the member to the shop steward to the local supervisor 
the shop steward, talking to witnesses, going to the local executive or the grievance officer, and then going to the COPE staff person, and then going to the union representative that Brandon just mentioned. Uh, when I teach the shop steward course, when I facilitated this, uh, ideally if we have enough people in space, everyone gets a name tag, and I think there's something like 15 people in this process, and they take a piece of string and they hand it around the room, and you'll see how complex the, uh, the process gets, because you end up with this huge web crisscrossing the room, or we've done it on a whiteboard before, and uh, this is why I'm saying it really drives home why something takes so long and how many hands it has to go through. It really is a complex procedure we have here. Well, and at this point, it, if, there, if the grievance doesn't have enough information uh, when it was first sent in, it might even go backwards back to the shop steward to get more information, do more investigation on the floor, and then go back again. Right. Sometimes it's happening at the same time, too. It can go forward at the same time as we're still gathering information, then you just add it to, to the grievance yeah. when you can. So yeah, once the COPE, COPE staff person receives it, they're going to hand it to the, the regional union representative. So your UR uh, regional office, who they're going to review it and uh, Rand said determine if it's if it is a grievance or not. So the UR receives it and then they give it to the regional grievance officer. So there's a, a few steps in here where it can go back and forth, like Brand said, with the um, you know, if there's more information missing, it can go backwards. Uh, but then eventually, once everything is compiled, we're going to put it all together into a file and send it to labor relations. And this is where the corporation first gets wind of it. So labor relations is on the corporation side. So at that point, um, the corporation must record the date that it was received uh, and give copies to the local union, uh, uh, to national, to regional, to, and to the employee. At this point, we've seen it go you know, through a cu couple steps. We still haven't actually argued the grievance at all. No. So, yeah. <laughs> this is why you don't put in a grievance and, you know, I'm clearly right. Why aren't I getting money the next day? Because yeah, the corporation just time. found out we still haven't argued it at all. At this point, the, the local or the regional UR, the union representative, is going to recommend to the national union what should be referred to arbitration. Arbitration is where you get uh, a judge in there to really decide what's going on or what's what's going to be taken forward or not. Um, it's not mentioned in this process, but it's in the Constitution that there's supposed to be a grievance committee at every local as well. And in somewhere early in this stage, before we even send it to regional office, that committee is supposed to meet. To, to discuss. Yeah, to kind of decide whether this is really a grievance and should we be sending it up. Uh, in our local, we've never used that committee. It's always just been policy to refer everything up, you know. Right. If it's not settled locally. Yeah, of course. First. You can't settle it immediately. Right. And I, I, I kind of like that we do that because I think it's a strong position to take, you know, because it says, look, if you don't agree right here, right now, we're taking it further. We're going all the way. Right. Right. <laughs> this is going to cost you. <laughs> so the once it's been decided uh, to send it to national grievance officer uh, it's either sent back to the the region saying yeah we're going to put this through arbitration or it won't be there's a couple of reasons something may not be referred uh, because the national grievance officer sees a lot of grievances uh, it may seem like agreements or maybe there's be some interpretation leeway uh, maybe this has already been argued mm. maybe this has already been argued 50 times and 
unless there's a new angle on it, all we're doing is really adding the precedence of the corporation if we put it through. So it might be a good idea not to give them more ammo and wait for something with a new angle to come up. Uh, and there has been cases where we've seen something that looks really obvious, but then found out later that there's some clause later on that it's not. Um, the other thing is arbitration is really expensive and we can put grievances through with no monetary goal attached to them or nothing that really affects somebody. Um, oh yeah, they don't like to do this. And you know, sometimes it's worth putting those through, but sometimes it's just not worth it. And you know, the inconvenience to the corporation and making them think about making them worry about it is all we can really hope for anyway. So there's really no point going through that expense. Right. Uh, the other thing is we can put a, a grievance into abeyance which basically means this grievance has no effect on someone substantially at this point. So usually what that means is if someone has a letter on file, uh, there's no point grieving it because by the time it's through the whole process, the one year is going to be up and up that uh, letter is going to be removed anyway. So there's no point arguing that. So we put the grievance in abeyance, which basically means we set off to the side. And then if there's a second incidence and that letter somehow becomes... Uh, relevant, then we can bring that grievance back to the center and proceed with it. They can also, they also will put them in abeyance if uh, there's another grievance going on nationally that might affect the outcome of that grievance. Like if something else is being grieved that the outcome would change the way this was decided, then they're going to wait to to forward that one because they want to, they want to finish that first process. Right. In either case, they're not referred directly to arbitration. They're either not going forward for some reason or they've been set aside. And and the reason that we're concerned about the cost of arbitration is that we do share that cost with the corporation. It's not just the corporation paying for it. it it's it's both the union and the corporation. And I think it's also worth noting that a lot of labor law is um, worded to sound like it's good for labor, good for the employee, <laughs> but it's generally not. This process is complex and long for a reason. And one of those reasons is corporations generally have more money than the unions and far more resources. So this is meant to kind of drain thing. If we took every single complaint to its full conclusion, um, you might as well assign your paycheck over to the local because there'd be nothing left or to the, <laughs> to the union. So we do have to pick and choose a few things. Uh, and our, our collective agreement does, does state that if, if grievances can be settled locally, they should be, and not not taken up if if we can avoid it. <laughs> right, and the corporation too, they don't mind draining our resources, but they're not out to completely waste resources either. If you've clearly been bypassed, they're just gonna pay it. And if this is the fifteenth time you've clearly been bypassed, even if they fought the first time, they're just gonna pay it. Because uh, yeah, they don't mind draining our money, but they're not into completely wasting theirs either. Um, well, it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes we're kind of forced to take things to to bring things up to arbitration, like when uh, when the corporation agrees to do something locally and then uh, changes their mind. Like obviously, we need to fight that a little bit more. Or um, if they say they're going to take a certain action to um, correct the breach of the contract. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stumbling with my words. Um, they say they're going to take a certain action to correct the breach of the contract and that hasn't been completed within a reasonable time, which the CA says 30 days, then you can forward that to arbitration as well. 
And they have to adhere to what's agreed to in consultation. I mean, right. even uh, LJOSH meetings, our local health and safety, joint health and safety, our uh, official consultations. If they go in there and agree to do something and then blatantly break their word or fail to follow through, we can file agreements on that as well. Yeah, pretty much any time that union representatives meet with management representative, representatives, that's a consultation. Right. So this is where we've just referred the grievance to arbitration, and this is where it gets to a higher, more more formal level. So they'll, of course, inform the local executive what's going on, the local grievance officer. And this is where we usually argue it at first level. So this is where I say the corporation is, is very misleading sometimes, usually, because uh, they will either pay the grievance, so <laughs> hopefully well, the office tells you, the collective agreement says that they have to give you the grievance number on your pay stub. Yeah, there's a grievance number there, but who knows what their number but, yeah, is. Yeah, who knows what the number is. And right. sometimes I've gotten a notice that money's been coming, and sometimes I haven't. Not that I've made a lot of money on grievances. I've found that they're more frequent lately, um, yeah. that I'll, I will get the letter shortly before I actually get the money. Far more often <laughs> what you'll, you'll receive is a letter that says, uh, we have heard this grievance, and it has been found there is no violation of the collective agreement. Which right. makes it sound like the grievance is dead, and this is the what that the corporation is, is trying to do. That's their standard: is that they send out a. It's uh, they have to use a specific form. It's in the back of our collective agreement. It's called B two, and uh, they'll basically just say, "Yeah, your grievance has been denied," and yeah. uh, so everybody gets all up in arms. My grievance was denied. I didn't win, but no, they just they send they blanket that out every time they get a grievance. Yeah. And it's meant to make <laughs> you mad at the union. Is right. Really what it's about. And, and and to make you kind of lose hope and give up and not pursue it further. Right. Right. But this is, that doesn't mean that it's dead. It just means they didn't agree to pay it at that level. Right. They, they haven't found, they don't believe there's a violation of the collective agreement, or sometimes they do and they want to postpone it. But they're not going to pay it at that point is all that means. If they still haven't resolved it at the first level, you get that letter, and then it goes onto the arbitration list. So the, the list goes back to labor relations, the corporation side, goes back to the regional grievance officer. The re regional UR gets it and the local executive, and the arbitrator. So the arbitrator, again, is the judge that's going to be hearing it. So you got all these copies there, and this is where they start preparing for their, their hearings. Now, there are two types of arbitration hearings. There's formal and informal. Okay, so the regular or informal arbitration procedure is supposed to be relatively quick. Uh, we're supposed to avoid the use of witnesses if possible, and nobody's hiring any lawyers here. This is just um, representatives of the union and of the corporation presenting their cases. Um, so uh, up until 30 days before the, the hearing, um, we're supposed to provide a list of the grievances we want heard to uh, management and to the arbitrator. And uh, if we have any grievances on that list that have taken longer than uh, six months to be heard, we can prioritize some over others. Uh, normally we follow the first in first out rule, but if something is taking, if things are taking too long, then you can prioritize them or agree to hear some of them as a group rather than individually because they're related. The collective agreement says that we must meet with management a week before the hearing in order to exchange any documents that we're using to establish any known facts about what happened and to review the grievance and settle it if possible without actually going to the arbitrator. Right. The other type is formal arbitration. This is where the corporation sometimes brings in lawyers. 
Uh, we don't usually on the union side. We have people that are very well trained uh, to do this work. I know Mike Weber in Saskatoon does some of these formal arbitrations and has a pretty good success rate at them. Uh, formal arbitrations are things that set precedence. So an informal yeah. arbitration, uh, if there's a whole bunch of those together, they can set a precedence, but they, once a formal one goes through, that becomes almost as if it's part of the collective agreement from that point. And then here, uh, should also say that uh, dismissals, if anyone's ever been terminated, they automatically jump into a formal ar arbitration. Yes. And they're here heard first because yes. we can't have people off work for too long. That really hurts them. So we move those to the, the top of the priority list. Yeah. And then policy grievances, uh, national policy grievances, those are always formal as well, I believe. So the, if we're going for a cease and desist order, um, there are certain situations where, where this applies. So it's if, if something needs to be dealt with urgently, if uh, there is currently a contravention of the collective agreement or one will, is about to occur, if it's creating an, uh, an imbalance in the level of inconvenience, like so the union's being seriously inconvenienced and management is not, um, if there are severe consequences to uh, members that cannot be corrected or compensated for later, or if there's no other useful recourse to deal with it, that's when we would go for that cease and desist order. And we mentioned witnesses quick here. They can happen in, in the informal ones, but let's say they're normally only in the formal ones. Right. Uh, but this is one of the things where the process can really get bogged down. If you have witnesses on both sides, uh, but party A can't be there this time, oops, okay, well, can't arbitrate this time, we'll arbitrate next time. And then that's sometimes six months later. Yeah. And, you know, next time it's the way around. This person can be there, but this person can't. Uh, this is what happens a lot in uh, harassment grievances. And right. these can sometimes take years. It's an awkward situation kind of thing. So it's really hard to line up people in evidence. And sometimes there's multiple witnesses and just having that many people around uh, and trying to get them to come to a, it can be an uh, uncomfortable situation. It can be really difficult. So this is where a lot of times grievances can push on for, for years right. sometimes. Well, the whole, the whole process of setting up arbitration is really, it's spelled out in the collective agreement and like there's lists of acceptable arbitrators and how you choose dates that are possible, hearing dates and all of the back and forth of just trying to get people in the same place at the same time to talk about the grievance. Um, you wouldn't think it would be that complicated, but there's a lot of people involved. So that's, that's kind of why it's such a process. So this is where, if there is a decision, it would go back to the local executive and the member would be informed at that point of the decision. The collective agreement states that um, they prefer if the arbitrator can give a, a verbal and immediate uh, decision at the end of the hearing, but if that's not possible, then they have to provide a written one as soon as possible. And then they would, of course, have provided a written one later anyway, because everybody wants everything written down. Yeah, it just allows them to move forward with that process so they're not waiting for the decision. Um, it's also worth noting that the arbitrators cannot change the collective agreement. What's written in the collective agreement is is there. Uh, the awards that they hand down are binding on both the union and management, but uh, they, they, can, they can interpret the collective agreement and, and clarify that for us, but they cannot actually change what's in there. Yeah, so then everyone just basically writes up their final report. The union will write up theirs as well, and that should end the procedure at that point. Well, I mean, I don't think it's over till you get the money in your bank account, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've even had to grieve that before, you know. They're supposed but, to have, yeah. I think it's 90 days to get you that money, or is it 30? Yeah. Well, it says 30 days to 
to complete remedial actions. Yeah, we've had to file grievances for that even where there are 30 days to pay your runs out and you just basically grieve them not paying you. Do you get to ask for interest? You can ask for an additional damages for that new grievance. Usually that just kicks their button to gear into actually doing it. Right. And there's no uh, technical limit on what the arbitrator could give. It's something with, you know, there's no upper limit nope. and there's no there's lower no limit. limit. They can also say, you're right, we're not doing this going forward, but the monetary award is zero. So one of the things here, uh, again, we were going to talk mostly about the procedure today and not what's in the collective agreement so much, but there, there is something in the collective agreement that says the local owns the grievance, or not the local. The, the union. The union owns the grievance. So they can, with written notice, withdraw that grievance. So this process could stop at any time. Yeah, we're allowed to withdraw agreements at any time. Yeah, and that can happen usually, I've seen that happen where we filed for uh, uh, usually a health and safety thing not getting resolved in time. And then I filed the grievance and next day I find out they did resolve it. So mm -hmm. okay, it's resolved, it's done. And Isn't it frustrating that they don't do anything until you file a grievance? It depends on the situation. They fix things <laughs> and I still put the grievance through, you know? Yeah. Well, sometimes sometimes them delaying could have a, a, a really serious impact. Like if they had yeah. delayed more, <laughs> if they had done more delays on dealing with COVID, yeah. like that could have been disastrous. Well, usually I, it, that happens when I've filed something preemptively. They say something's in the process of being fixed, but I don't mm. believe them. And if they fix it, it's not agreements. If they don't, it is. And, right. you know. But I don't want to blow timelines or anything, so I put it in just to see, and then withdraw it. Where uh, they say they're going to pay some someone for something, uh, but I haven't seen it in their system. I have no proof that they're going to pay you. I'll put in the grievance, and then ask the person, "Has this shown up in your pay stub? Yes or no?" And then I'll ask for the grievance to be withdrawn. Uh, well, that payment one would be at least two weeks, if yeah, not a month. Which is why right? we need to file it. Which is why we need to file, because if you wait the month, you're past your deadline. Well, it's from when you reasonably would have found out, and you reasonably wouldn't have found out until you get that pay stub. So on that That's one, you true. can move the timelines a little bit. But uh, the point there is that the union owns the grievance. So you can't withdraw your, your grievance. The union can. So you can request that it be pulled for some reason. Uh, but it's really the union's decision to do that. And where that's more important in this process is with the arbitration decision. When you fill out that grievance, the, it becomes a union's property. And especially at, at the first level, there's some, there can be some debate on what the award's gonna be or things like that. And I've had lots of people say, well, you know, I will not be accepting less than this amount or that amount. Like I say, Mike here is very good. A lot of times he gets you more than you'd expect. Right. But sometimes people are disappointed. Uh, Usually, unrealistically, people want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can't expect to get $1,000 for every grievance you file. No, right? and there's people that are, you know, something, there's, there's other reasons things don't always work out. And sometimes people get suspended and they think they should get all five days back, but they really did. But there's reasons why you might only get three or four of those back. I got a five day suspension one time and only got three back. I can't say, no, I'm refusing that three. Um, they will. Here, at least, they will call you if there's some option and say, do you? Sometimes there's some leeway there. Oh, yeah. Do you, want the, do you want us to do this or do this? This is what they've offered. Ultimately, what the yeah. union decides is up to them. Right. And they can. I'm not saying they will, but they can just settle however they deem fit. And, you know, I don't think any... Or, or choose to continue with the process even after you've lost interest. Right. <laughs> um and of course, the union, in my experience, has always acted in the, the party's best interest. 
sometimes the party doesn't always agree, but when you dig into the, the rules and the arguments and the technicalities, I've never seen something where the union did not act in their fullest for the employee. So if you have any complaints or concerns about this podcast, please send your grievances to overburdenpod at gmail.com. <laughs> I don't think we're going to investigate them, are we? <laughs> uh, they will not be thoroughly investigated or referred to arbitration but in any way. We will discriminate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we will. And we will also talk to you next week. Yeah, have a great week. Forget my point. I don't know. I'm not in your head. You don't want to be there anyway. It sounds like a nasty place, yeah. <laughs>